We are in a hero series. That's what we are um, doing. So welcome to the hero series. We're going through different Old Testament characters. And inspired by Hebrews 12.1, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Have you guys found that sin is very easy to tangle you up? Sin is very easy to trip us up. So he says, hey, let us throw off everything that's hindering us, the sin that is entangling us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In other words, God has a race, a a path, a journey marked out for you. He's already decided it. It's already out there. So let us run with that, run that race with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I like the word pioneer. I love that word. Because when you start thinking about life, life is a journey. It's not all good. Am I right? Not everything that happens in your life feels good, and not every obstacle or trial that comes into your path, you're like, wow, wow, I just really love this obstacle right now. You may not like it. But it's a part of your journey. If you watched a movie, and only in that movie, only good things happened through the entire movie, and nothing ever, you know, threw you a curveball, or there was no obstacle, there was no valley, they didn't have to climb up the mountain, it'd be like, that is the most boring movie of all times. Am I right? That's why there's no such thing as a movie that's just like all good. You're sitting there going, well, that is pointless. Here's the deal. In our life, there's trouble. In our life, there is sickness. In our life, there is trials. In our life, there's difficulties. And that's a part of life, but that's also the part that makes it interesting. Right? You wouldn't have a story to tell if you didn't have to spend a night in a boat. Right, Mike? Right? They went on a little trip and uh, slept in a boat. I'm like, well, that's a story. That's a journey. That's what I can't wait to hear about that story. I'm like really pumped. I mean, but I got to wait. We got to do that after the sermon. But anyways, so what I'm what what the whole point of this series is this: What if we had a moment to run? Uh, like if we could just picture this race, and we're going around the track, and we had one lap to run with Abraham and Joseph, and one lap we could run with Moses. They had a whole life full of all kinds of amazing, interesting things. What would they teach us? So far in our series, we have looked at Abraham. Simple obedience, that's the message that, that Abraham, one of the many things he would say, but if he only had that one lap, he would say, you know what, when God says go, go. Simple obedience. Joseph, we, we talked about Joseph last week, and it was a story of perseverance. Never give up. Here's a man who, who waited, he was 13 years between prison and in slavery, and then another Seven years and two years before he ever got reunited. Is twenty to over twenty years? You're talking about twenty years here before the promise was ever fulfilled. Never give up. It would have been easy to give up anywhere along there. Today we're going to look at Moses. Moses. What we're going to look at Moses today is nothing can replace the presence of God. That song was just about perfect, right? I just want to be here with you. One of the first songs that I ever learned on guitar was, um, I just want to sit here at your feet. And uh, it was a, a song by Jars of Clay. Um, probably nobody knows that song anymore. I'll just leave it, leave it where it is. But anyways, so Moses, 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 one of the greatest leaders. In fact, um, 
throughout the Jewish, the, the Jewish heritage, there's probably not a more pivotal um, character, a, a pivotal person that the Jewish people look to than Moses and everything. So Moses, this, the verse that I, is the climactic verse to me in all of his story is in Exodus 33, 14. So the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses replied to the Lord. And I'm like, there's some boldness in his reply. <laughs> if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. You see, one of the things that I want you to know, <clears throat> there's no giftedness, there's no talent, no strength, no wisdom, no power that can replace the presence of God. So you, you can have great gifted musicians without the presence of God. You can go to a great concert without the presence of God. Nothing can replace the power of the presence of God. Nothing. Nothing. And I think one of the things that I see sometimes posted on Facebook is, you know, talking about how churches are turning things into a show, right? Well, when you're looking for talent and you're looking for giftedness, you're looking for a good voice and a, and a musical ability, or, or maybe you're looking for somebody who can teach and they have a, a creative way of teaching, I'm telling you, nothing can replace the presence of God. I tell our leadership often the greatest thing that you can ever give your people is that they know you've been in the presence of God. They know you have spent time with God. And that's something that you should look to in a leader. If, if you don't believe that the leaders are spending time with the Lord, that's probably somebody I would not follow. To just be honest with you, I want to know, you know, if you're going to lead me, you better have spent time with God so that I know that you're following. If I'm going to follow you, you better be following him. You see what I'm saying? So don't, don't ever get caught up into something where you don't know if that person's been with the Lord. I don't want advice if you haven't been with the Lord. That's why it's a dangerous thing to post and look for advice on Facebook. I mean, you'll get all kinds of advice. Come on now. You know, you'll get all kinds of suggestions. And also, it's, it's amazing, I always find how we surround ourselves with all different kinds of yes people, right? We get all these yes people around us, and we want them to validate our wrong behavior. What we really need is somebody who spent time with God to speak truth to us even when it hurts. That's a true friend. That's a true friend. So, now this story here where Moses is telling him, and I love this, this is this, I love this. If you're not with us, then don't send us. I mean, you know, like, God, if you're not with us, then don't dare send us anywhere. This is some really good boldness of him. But this is, this is not, there's a whole story that led up to this moment, and that's what we're going to capture. So what I'm going to do is I wanted to hit this passage and show you the heart of Moses, because this is a pivotal moment in the story where it could go one way or it could go another, just like in your life. Since God is the pioneer and perfecter of your faith, there's a lot of times that you find your place in, a life, in your life and you're like, it could go one way or it could go another. We're at a crossroads. Israel was at a crossroads and this is the, the moment, the turning point, if you will, of what's going to happen. He got, and Moses is like, if you're not with us, don't send us across that river. Don't do it. So let's check out this backstory, the, and, and, and we're going to learn some lessons as we go. The first lesson is sin and the presence of God don't mix, 
All right? Sin and the presence of God don't mix. So that we're going to start our story in Exodus 32. So the Israelites have been rescued. God rescued them from the Egyptians. They've traveled through the Red Sea. They've traveled through the, the, the desert. And now they've come to, to the mountain of God. Moses is up with God on the mountain receiving what we know as the Ten Commandments. He's been up there for quite a while, and the people begin to say, I don't know where he is. Maybe he's dead. We haven't seen him for a long time, so we need to do something. And so what they did is they, they told Aaron, Moses' brother, make for us an idol. So here it is. Aaron took what they had handed him, the, the, the gold that they had received from the Egyptians, funny enough, um, and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Woo! Not good. So what's interesting is that they chose a calf. Now, it's, it would be more likely a young bull. Um, and, uh, but anyways, regardless of calf, bull, uh, heifer, it wouldn't, it wouldn't really matter. Um, but here's the, here's the thing. What's interesting is Apis was a sacred bull of Egypt that they worshipped. Worshipped him for his strength. Hathor was the Egyptian goddess symbolized by a heifer. Their goddess, female goddess, is called a heifer. <laughs> oh, all right. Exits, looking for them now. Got it. Okay, so, um, Baal. Baal was, 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 it was rumored that Baal transformed himself into a bull, half bull, half man. What are something else that we know of that would be pictures of a half man and half bull? Isn't that a lot of the pictures depicted the devil? Isn't it interesting then, the children of Israel, who's supposed to worship the one true God, made an idol in the form of what so many depictions of the devil is. Is that not twisted? Huh? Isn't it? And then what they said is, and so what Aaron did is he made it. He did what they wanted, and he said, these, and so there's plural, these are the gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. This is what, no, it wasn't. That piece of gold didn't do nothing. It didn't bring you anywhere. And so what they did is because they didn't know what happened to Moses, and Moses was their direct connection to God, we don't know what to do, so let's make something and pretend. Because that's what idolatry is. Pretending that that thing you love so much is your God. So when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose up, they sacrificed burnt offerings, and they presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down, ate, and drank, and got up to indulge in revelry. We don't need to go into all the details of revelry. Whatever you probably can imagine is probably what happened. I'm just saying. So the story continues in the next couple of verses. Then the Lord said to Moses, so this is all going down at the bottom of the mountain. Moses is in the presence of God. He's getting the commandments and the rules and the statutes for the people of God. So he's doing this. They're all playing. 
And so the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people, <laughs> your people whom you brought up out of Egypt, a little terminology right there, you'll, you'll catch this later, <clears throat> have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and they've sacrificed to it. And they said, these are the gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. I have seen, this is God, I have seen these people. The Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked. That means stubborn. Nobody is stubborn in this room, right? If you are married to a stubborn person, raise your hand. The men were quicker that time. They were bold. I see husbands and wives both. I got you. I got you, right? Okay. They are a stiff-necked. They're stubborn. They're stubborn. They're hard-headed. Now leave me alone. So he's telling Moses, now I need you to leave me alone for a moment. Leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I'll destroy them. Then I'll make you into the nation. There's only one person. I want you to think, this, this is a hero series. There's only one person that right now is in position to stand between an angry God and a stupid people. There's, this is, there's a reason this is the hero series. Now let me alone, right? Moses sought the favor of the Lord. I love this. He seeks the favor of God. He's not like, well, God, you can't. I mean, he's, he's seeking the favor of the Lord. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people? He's coming back because God says, the people you brought up out of Egypt, let me, I'm just going to go ahead and destroy them. Moses is reminded, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought up out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say it was with an evil intent that he, that's God, brought out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent. Do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land, I promise them, and, I, and it will be their inheritance forever. The Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he threatened. I mean, I love how Moses didn't just, I mean, at that point I'm like, yeah, you're right, they are a bunch of idiots down there. Let's start over. It's kind of like kids in their video games. It's not going really well. I got a couple of kids just popped right up. They're like, what? Talking about video games? In a sermon? I remember when I played the old Nintendo, and it wasn't going really good. You just push the power button, and you start over. We're starting over from scratch. I mean, sometimes doesn't that kind of sound like, man, I would like to, there's been so many mistakes in this marriage. There's been so many mistakes. I would just like to start over. We don't start over. We can start afresh. We can have a new beginning. We don't start all the way over. We don't give up. So what Moses is saying is he's pleading, he's seeking the favor of God. He's like, God, let's not start over. There'll just be another stupid group of people. There's just going to be another group of stiff-necked, hard-headed, stubborn people. I want to look at a couple of different examples of 
the, how sin in the presence of God doesn't mix. In the Garden of Eden, very right out of the gate, Adam and Eve, they ate of the, true God, of the tree that God commanded them not to. And it says, they heard the sound of God, the Lord God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam, said to his, and, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. You guys catch that? God is coming out to meet them. Because of the sin in their life, they hid from the presence of God. Cain, they had Adam and Eve had two sons right out of the gate there. Um, Cain and Abel. Abel brought an a offering to the Lord that God accepted, but God did not accept Cain's offering. Cain got angry. He was jealous. He killed his brother. As a punishment, the Lord said to him, um, you are, he cast him out of his presence. Then Cain replied to God, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from what? Your presence. My punishment is more than I can bear. What makes it more than he can bear? But being hidden from the presence of God. I'm wanting you to understand that I can't walk with God and walk with sin at the same time. It doesn't work like that. We live in a world and we live in a, in, a, in a culture that widely accepts, embraces sin. You, you, you can't watch TV without sin being embraced. I'm telling you, God doesn't change. The Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change. You see, when the world around us says, hey, you know what? The Bible needs to change to get with the times. No, the times need to get changing to be with God because he doesn't change. So I'm not going to be able to walk in his presence and walk in sin at the same time. I can't do both. Have you ever noticed that when we decide that we want to walk with sin, it's hard to go into the house of the Lord. Has any of you ever noticed that? Like there's a, maybe a time in your life that you're like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. You're a stiff neck, right? I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do and I'm doing it, right? And then you found that that sin started building up in your life and you felt the presence of God everywhere and you felt guilty. We should, we're, we're wrong. And you know what's easiest to do? Leave. It's easier to leave and to be outside of the presence of God because being in his presence reminds me that what I'm doing is not right. See, that's how that works. God's presence says, hey, you're not on the right road with me. You need to change some things. Or you find yourself hiding from the presence of God. So what do we do when we find ourselves at sin? Glad you asked. Acts 3.19 says this, repent. So repenting is this, changing your mind about the sin, changing. See, it's, there's a big difference between God, I'm sorry, and really I'm sorry that I got caught, and God, I don't want this sin anymore. There's a big difference, huge difference. We live in this time where it's like, man, I got caught, so I'm going to take a break, or I'm going to step back, or I'm going to do this, but there's not really a God, I... I, I 
hate what I've done. I hate who I've become. I hate that I allowed this into my life. I don't want it. That's what repentance looks like. God, I'm wrong and I don't want this anymore. And he says this, repent, therefore be converted. That means to be changed. The word convert, change. Repent and be changed that your sins may be blotted out. So what? That the times of refreshing may come from where? The presence of the Lord. You see, when I repent of my sin, the presence of the Lord brings what? Refreshing. Guys, that is huge. What this is teaching us is this. When I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, I need to repent of that sin so that I can be changed, so that the presence of God is restored in my life, and I then will be refreshed. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, These shall be punished with an everlasting destruction. Talking about hell from where? The presence of the Lord. You want to know what hell is? The absence of the presence of the Lord. There's nothing worse than not having God's presence in our life. So, let's get back to the story. In Exodus 32, the Lord then replied to Moses. Okay, so Moses sought his favor. Please do not destroy the idiots. Okay? Don't kill them, please. Egypt is going to say that you did a cruel joke on them. Don't let that happen. So then the Lord replied, though, whoever has sinned against me, I'm going to blot out of my book. I'm wanting you to understand, God doesn't play with sin. Though the world around us plays around with it, the world around us accepts it, embraces it, makes laws to accept it, God's not playing with sin. He ain't playing with it. Man, it is so hard to get across to this generation and this culture that God doesn't play with sin. He says, whoever sinned against me, I'm going to take them out of his book. That's the book of life. That's the, the book of eternal life. He says, those who worship that calf, I'm, they're not coming. Now go lead these people. See, Abraham right here be like, I'm going. I'm on my way. Let's go. Which way? Now go lead these people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. That's important to see. So here's what the Lord, Lord's still angry. He's still upset. They were unfaithful. You expect me, God, to be faithful to you, but you're unfaithful to me. Have you ever thought about how that makes God feel? Have you ever thought about for a moment how faithful he is and how unfaithful we are? And then we're like, oh, God's okay with that. No, he's not. God's not okay with our unfaithfulness. So, they, he, so the Lord says, I'm going to take them out of the book. Now you go ahead, take the people. I'm going to send an angel with you. What, what is he also saying is what's not said. I'm sending an angel. It's not going to be me. This whole time up to this point, God's presence set them apart from everybody else. At this moment, God said, I'm not going with you. I'm sending an angel. When the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck down with a plague, or the people down with a plague because of what they had done. What I love, though, this would have been that point of your, you, you being Moses, realizing that God's pretty upset. I'm going to blot them out of this book, and I'm going to punish them. God's not happy in this moment. 
This would have been a really easy time for Moses to be very compliant and just say, okay, I'm going. There's a reason why this is Moses and not Abraham at this moment. I thought about this a lot to myself. I think if I knew I was standing before an angry God and he said, go, I'm just going to go, I don't think I would have any talk. That's the difference between me and Moses at this point. Moses was somebody who was bold and he was strong and he spoke up. So we find ourselves at this point here where Moses has a choice to make. He's either just going to go and do what the Lord said in this moment, going to go ahead and lead these people out, or am I going to speak out? So here's our second lesson. If you want the presence of God, then don't settle for anything less. I love that. At that moment, he could have said, okay, Lord, I'm going. Please send a strong angel, a warrior angel. Because, I mean, if you think about it, wouldn't it have been a lot easier if, if Moses would have said, you know what, God, you're probably right. We're a bunch of idiots down here, and we're not really doing what you want us to do. So probably the smartest thing would be to send an angel up there. You stay, you, you, you keep the distance from us so that you don't kill us. And we're going to kind of do our thing. You kind of do your thing and send the angel, and we'll get the land. Then everybody wins, right? Because we can do whatever we want to, and you're not going to kill us. Wouldn't that have been the easiest thing? Because, I mean, here's the deal. If you go with us, Lord, there's probably a good chance that you're going to send snakes and they're going to bite us or the ground is going to open up and eat us or some other plague's going to happen or you're going to send a nation over, right? All those things happen, by the way. It's a great story. Just start reading in Exodus and just keep going. Talk about finding out about a stubborn people. The Lord said, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath, Isaac and Jacob, I will, uh, to the saying that I will give to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, uh, Hivites, and Jebusites. A lot of ites going on there. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might kill you, destroy you along the way. Right? I mean, at this point, I would have been like, okay, God, that's probably the best plan, right? I mean, that, that's probably this best option we've got. We keep doing stupid stuff and you're angry enough to destroy the entire nation. I see that now. But Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not told me or let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. But if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. What I love about Moses is this. He doesn't settle for the angel. And I'm not saying that, hey, that's really bad, but he's like, I don't want the angel, I want God. I want the God of the angel to go with me. I don't want just an angel, and the angel's powerful, Michael's cool, Gabriel's cool, but I don't want Michael and Gabriel, I want the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am. I want that guy, I want him, I want his presence. See, Moses didn't just sit back and say, okay, he didn't. If you're pleased with me, because what's happened is Moses and God, it even says that they had a relationship where they talked face to face. So, the, so Moses is saying, listen, you tell me to lead your people, but listen, 
I know you by name. You know me. If I found, I want, here's what I want, God. I want, if you're pleased with me, let, let's put them out of the room for the moment. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways. What Moses is saying, I want to know your ways, God. I know that we all messed up and, we're, and there's the ways of the world. I want to know God's ways. Is there anybody in this house that says, I just want to know God's way. I don't care what Hollywood says. I don't care what TikTok says. I don't care about YouTube or all the influencers that don't have real jobs. Come on. Can't believe they get paid for being stupid. So sad. The Lord is like, "Mm -mm." so I just want to know, I want God, teach me your ways. Then he says, so that I may know you, okay? And, and continue to find favor with you. See, all this, Moses is more concerned about the relationship with God than he was about what was going to happen next. Hold on. You're wanting me to go lead the people, but hold on. Where are you going to be at in this? Because I want to know from you. I want to learn from you. I want to follow you. I want to know you and find favor with you. I want it you and me. What if we were like that in our faith? God, I have a lot of friends around me doing all the wrong things, but God, I want to know you and find favor with you. Teach me your ways. Man, what if the teenagers got a hold of that one? Well, I know that everybody's vaping in the bathroom. That ain't going to be me. I want to know God's ways. I want to find favor with God, not find favor with my friends. We get to those places of where we see the world doing whatever the world wants to do. It's not much different. There's a lot of similarities between the world today and the world back then. A lot more similarities than we talk about. Yeah, the clothes were different. The smells were definitely different. Transportation. The exhaust wasn't gas. It was the stuff on the road that you had to watch out for there. Sin has always been the problem. Sin has always been there. Sin has always been there. Moses If you want the presence of God, then don't settle for anything less. Man, I remember somebody, I I went to a revival meeting once a long time ago, and they were talking about revival. Revival is for those who are sick and those who need God and, and were desperate for God. And, you know, they said, you know what, here's what you do is you draw a circle. And you sit in that circle and say, God, I ain't leaving until you come do something right here. We're so impatient. We're so quick to quit. We're so quick to, we're so busy that we don't even have time to say, God, I'm not leaving. If that takes an hour, it takes an hour. If it takes all day, I'm here. I got a pillow. I'm ready. Pastor, I'll lock up when I walk out of the door. Just I'm not leaving this spot until I get the present. That's what I'm talking about. Like if I don't get it right this and right this moment, if I'm not the Burger King my way right away, I'm done. I'm fine. I'll just, I'll just wait until maybe, maybe it'll happen next week. That's when, now we're going to go from 33, right here. The Lord then replied to him, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses, this is that verse that we started with. Moses said to him, if your presence 
does not go with us, do not send us up from here. If you're not going with me, don't ask me to lead. Leaders of living water or leaders of anything. Man, that should be our heart right there. God, if you're not leading me, if you're not going to be, if your presence isn't going to be with me, if you aren't, if this isn't your thing, don't ask me to do it. Don't ask me to take on this ministry, God, if you aren't your presence in it and you're not leading me in this. I don't want it. I don't want to just do something. So it leads us into our final lesson that we learn from this, and this is this. The presence of God will change you. You cannot be in the presence of God and not be changed. So in the very next verses, then Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, then do not send us. How will, listen to this, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? How is everyone going to know that you're with us if you're not with us? You see, that's the whole thing. How do you know that a church is a real church? Because the presence of God is in the church. That's how you know when you walk in the doors, you know right away, is God here or not? If he's not, it ain't his church. How will anyone know that you're pleased? How will anyone know? You see, here's the, this, is, this doesn't just go for a church. This goes on an individual level. How do you know someone that God is pleased with someone? His presence is all around them. Even when things are falling apart in their life, God's presence is still around them. When things didn't go their way, God's presence is still circling. What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people? What distinguishes us different? God's presence. What distinguishes, what, in other words, what shows, how, how do you know that this is a real faith? How do you know? When people sit there and they're like, man, I believe there's a God. I just don't know which one it is. Easy. Look. Because God, the real God, has a, he's alive. He's not a dead statue. He's alive. And his presence is alive. And his presence is among his people. You know. You know. The Lord said, I will do the very thing that you've asked. I am pleased with you and know you by name. Guys, is that not an amazing, amazing story? So I need to to bring us. We only got two slides left. You're welcome. Um, I need you to hear me, though. There's a big difference between you being in the presence of God and sitting next to someone in the presence of God. You guys hear me? Just because you can feel the presence of God in the room does not mean it's because of you. There's a lot of times people will walk in and like, wow, I felt something. Yeah, that's God. And we go home and we still act and live the same way. Like, why am I not changing? Why is this not affecting me? Well, maybe you're sitting next to somebody that's absolutely bathing in the presence of God and you just got lucky enough to sit next to them. Because if you're truly in His presence, I'm telling you, if you're truly in His presence, you can't walk away. You can't walk away unchanged. 
When you're in his presence, something is going to happen. In fact, when Moses came down from the mountain and he was on his way to the people, it talked about how his face was shining. And the people were afraid of him because he'd been with God. He was walking down, his face was all shining and glowing, and they scared them. Oh, you've been with the Lord and we've not been good. And they asked him to put a veil over his face to hide the presence of God. Come on. They were so afraid of the changes that God was making in him that it was so external. They just looked at him and knew that he'd been with God and they like, you got to cover that up. Wouldn't that be a sad day to be in a church that is scared of the presence of God. What happens if the kids start dancing? What if they started jumping? I remember going to a, a Baptist church and I was preaching a revival and this kid in the front row, he just got so excited. They sang a special, they sang a song and he loved that song and he started jumping and his father like fear runs over and grabs the kid's shoulders and puts him like puts his feet on the ground and put out that fire just like that. I'm so sad for that kid because now that kid's going to have a faith like his father. Shut off. David danced before the Lord. His wife was embarrassed and he says, "You watch, I'll be even more undignified than this." Ooh. <laughs> People wanted him to cover it up. Mm. So if you're not changing, then chances are that you're not drawing near. If you're not changing, I'm going to be honest with you, if you're not changing, the problem is you. It's kind of like that song, I'm the problem, it's me. It's okay, you guys can, maybe, maybe nobody's ever heard that song. So anyways, that's what happens when you have a whole bunch of teenage girls. And my wife, her whole life is a musical. Never know what's going to be sang out of her. Anyways, if you're not changing, I'm telling you right now, if you're not changing, you are the problem. That means that there's something I need to change inside of me. God, help me. There's sin, in the, there's sin between us. What is the problem? But if I'm not changing, I'm not drawing near to the Lord. James 4.8, draw near to God and what? He will. You see, God is forever faithful. I'm the problem. If there's a problem with faithfulness, it's me. If, if, if God and I are in the same room here and, and there's like, man, there's a problem with faithfulness, I, it's me. I'm the problem. Okay, God, I'm the problem. It's me. Okay, anyways, sorry. So, Here's the deal is that we can be in a room, we can feel his presence, but we're not changing. Then I, there's something I need. There's something I need. God, I need to be in your presence. I want to be in your presence. There are so many times that we miss it. We miss it. We're so close. You feel God nudging you to do something. Have you ever felt like God nudging you, I need to go do this, or I need to, I need to be at the altar, or I need to drop down right here, or God wants me to go do this thing, and then all of a sudden like fear grips you and you don't do it? How many has that happened to right? I can't tell how many people are like, oh, I want to go to the altar, but I'm so scared. Why? 
Man, I just want to get closer to God. Why? I want to be at the altar more than anyone else, right? Isn't that, shouldn't that be our heart? God, if you're there, I want to be there. And it's not like he's just here. He's everywhere. But there's times that he says, I want you to do this. And you're like, oh, too scary for me. I'll watch somebody else bathe in that presence. I'll let somebody else walk into that. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's saying, you know, you can't have two minds here. It's one mind for God or I'm double-minded and I need to purify myself from that. When's the last time that you knew God was absolutely changing you? When was the I mean, I've, there's times in my life I'm like, ooh, I can go back to moments in my life, little milestones in my life where God was like, oh, wow, I was so impacted by his presence. This is what outturned. I've, I've had people say, man, I got saved, and I immediately stopped smoking. I immediately stopped all of these things, right? All of these things, and I never even, I lost, you know, there's, there's change that comes when I'm in the presence of God. There's change that happens in my life. Maybe that changes. He comes in and he shows you, hey, you got some people you need to forgive. And all of a sudden, I let it all go. I was in the presence of God and I was able to let it all go. As you draw closer and closer and closer to God, all of those other things start going away. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passing away, and behold, all things are becoming new. The old is going away, and the new things are taking its place. Beautiful cycle. I want want you to bow your heads this morning. And I want you to ask yourself, do I ache for the presence of God in my life. Like that's all I want is just to be in his presence. God, I just want a little bit more of you. Paul said it the best. Philippians chapter 3. I count all things rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of just knowing God. Everything in my life is trash when I compare my most valuable things to just knowing God. You may be sitting in here today and coming to a realization that you know people who know God and you're sitting next to people who know God but maybe you don't know God. And if that is you, don't walk out of here without starting a personal relationship with Him. It's the greatest thing you could ever receive is a relationship with God. My prayer for you is that you will come to a place in your life that you just want Him and nothing else will do. 
all other things. I'm going to be standing over here to the side. Pastor Paul's in the front here as well. If any of you today realize that maybe you're not walking in His presence, maybe you've been missing that whole thing, and maybe you know a lot about God, but you don't know Him. Moses shows us this amazing path that there was a relationship where Moses knew God well enough that he could speak out and say, I don't want an angel, I want you. Do you have that kind of relationship with him? Maybe today God wants you to see that you're missing something in your walk with him. If you need to come to the altar, come. If you need to ask him into your heart, don't leave here without doing that. You just respond to whatever God would have you do. You be faithful because He's forever faithful. God, we just want you today. We just want you. God, nothing, nothing can replace you. Our phones can't replace you. Sports, entertainment, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or finding a house or getting that car that you always wanted, none of that can replace you. All those things that we're chasing after bring momentary happiness. You bring eternal joy.